Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Good morning, church. How are we doing today? We good? Awesome. Those of you joining us online, welcome. So glad you guys are here. So glad that everyone chose to join us today. Um, for those of you who don't know who I am, we haven't met yet. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. So um, I connect with music a lot. I connect with music a lot. Now, for, for those of you who know that I'm the worship and connections pastor here, you're probably like, well, duh. That's what you do. Are you like, isn't music what you do? But, you know, I'm, I'm not alone here in this. Okay, I'm not alone in, in connecting with music because there's just this power that comes with music, there's this power that comes uh, when you put music to, to things, put music to words. That's why a lot of you uh, will probably remember more of the worship songs that we sang. You'll probably go home humming those instead of going home reciting every word of my sermon that I'm about to talk about, uh, which is totally fine. But there's just this, this power that comes when there's music involved. And it's probably why a couple of weeks ago I was listening to one of my favorite uh, artists out there, John Mayer. Um, who is not just a, not only just a great lyricist, but he's a very talented and an amazing uh, guitar player. He's fun to watch. He's, he's fun to listen to. And there was a song I was listening to that was called I Don't Trust Myself With Loving You, which is off of his Continuum album, which in my opinion is his best album, but uh, we can fight about that later if you want. But if you look at the, the song itself, it's not... <laughs> It's basically about how he's saying, I don't trust myself of loving you, and you shouldn't trust yourself of loving me either. It's kind of what he's saying. But there's a line of the song that says this. And this line, it kind of stood out to me. It, it actually it struck me. It says, who do you love, me or the thought of me? It says, who do you love, me or the thought of me? And as I was thinking about this, as I was pondering it, as I was thinking about the words and letting them kind of sink in, it, it kind of, the reason that it struck me so much was because of this. It got me thinking about my relationship with Jesus and, and how, how the world interacts with Jesus. And, and I realized that when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, typically, a lot of times, we love the thought of Jesus. We don't actually love Jesus we love the thought of a relationship. We love the thought of, of everything that comes along with that, all the benefits that come along with it. But, but we don't love, like, when it, when it comes down to it, when our faith is put to the test, we're actually kind of like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do that. Like, I, was, I feel like I've been duped. I don't know. Like, when the rubber meets the road, like, what happens to our faith? You see, we love the thought of things. We love the thought of heaven. We love the thought of that we have a loving God who loves us despite all of our mess-ups, despite of who we are. We love the thought of that, but, but when it comes time for us to take action, for us to actually do something, when, when our faith becomes a reality, what do we do? What do we do? Now, I know that there are some of us in this room who have had uh, faith, you know, trials through your faith. You've, you've had, you've, you've, your feet have kind of been put to the fire, and you've kind of come up on, on the other side of it, and... And you can look back and your story is a testimony to God's grace. And, and there's some of us who have even been ridiculed for our faith, and whether that be at school, whether that, whether that be at work, whether that just be out and about. Um, I know that there are some of us in this room that have gone through trials 
like that. But if I would, if I would venture to guess, I would guess that there's probably a good portion of us in this room that haven't had to have our faith tested in a while, or maybe at all. You know, and, I, and I'm not just talking about persecution. All right, persecution is one thing. Okay, persecution is is like. You're going to church. Like real persecution is like, I'm going to go to church today and somebody might come into this building and blow it up. Like, like I cannot practice my faith openly. It's not openly acceptable for me to practice my faith. I could be put to death for my faith. That's the kind of persecution that Jesus and his disciples faced. But that's not necessarily what we face here in Midwest America and in Indiana and in Bluffton, Indiana, where it is acceptable for you to walk into this building and nobody's going to bat an eye. No, I'm not talking about persecution. I'm talking about something kind of different when it comes to our faith. When it comes to our faith, the, the, I think there's this new enemy that's kind of creeped in with us, and it's our comfort. We've become too comfortable. We've become uh, ready to sacrifice everything on the, on the altar of personal preference. Uh, we more and more Christians, especially in America, in, in turn, have started to love the thought of Jesus. Not necessarily the real Jesus. You see, we've become consumed. We've become consumed with our schedules. We've become consumed with our work. We've become consumed with our family. We've become consumed with social media and making sure that everybody knows how great our lives are. We've become consumed with all the things that this world offers us that says, hey, if you do this, you'll be happy. We've become consumed with it. And what has been the result of that? What has been the result of that? Has been anxiety is at an all-time high in the world. Depression is at an all-time high. Abuse, all the all the every, you know everything in between. Mental health issues. It's at an all-time high. And I have to tell you what we're going to be talking about today. It could be something that'll test us, and it's something that's kind of maybe difficult for some of us to hear. But but I want to encourage you guys to lean in as we talk about this. Because as we, as we start, begin this series, Jesus' warnings to the church, that's exactly what warnings are. They, they, they can be hard to hear. They can be hard to hear. And as Jesus is wrapping up what I like to call the greatest sermon ever, he gives us some pretty stern warnings. He gives us also some great advice in these warnings, but, but I'm going to warn you about something today. As we, as we begin our journey, as, as we talk about this, and as, especially as we go through this series, about Jesus' warnings to the church, some of the things that we might say, they might offend you. They might step on your toes a little bit. And, I, and to that, I say, good. And this is why I say good. Okay, I don't want you guys to, to hurt or be in pain or anything like that. But, but when, when you are faced with the truth of Scripture, when, when the truth of Scripture is presented with you and you have to wrestle with it, it's a great place for you to meet with God. It's a great place for God to shape you. So if we say something within this that kind of steps on your toes a little bit, maybe find a, a friend of faith and talk about it. Talk about why that, why that bothered you, why that stepped on your toes. Maybe, hopefully, that'll bring you to action. But I just wanted to give you guys that up front. So as we open up our Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. Um, and this is, we're going to start in verse 13. And what this is, um, Jesus is putting, as we like to call, the landing gear down on the greatest sermon ever. He's getting ready to, 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 to end the sermon, but he's, want, he's wanting to give us some very specific things to focus on 
especially, you know, these, these are the things I want you to really, really remember, as he's, is what he's saying. He's, and he's essentially giving us two choices with every warning. But let's go ahead and read here, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. It says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. We're going to stop right there, but let me read that again. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. So let's keep this simple. Right? What's, what is Jesus talking about here? What he's talking about? He's, he's talking about two gates, but he's specifically more talking about two paths. Two paths. Okay? He's giving us an option of two gates here. All right, let's, let's kind of just imagine this for a second here. Okay? We have one gate over here. It's nice. It's wide. It's brand new. It's freshly painted. It's, you know, it even has a nice little push button that you can push and it'll open for you. And it's nice and wide. And, and then over here, you have a gate. It's not as wide. You know, it's kind of narrow. It doesn't have a push button to open. It's actually, in fact, it might need a little WD-40 to open it. It's one of these gates that's not, you know, but as you look beyond these gates, there's two separate destinations that you're looking at. And so you're here. You've been waiting in this line to go through this gate. And you know, if you look, you've seen people go ahead of you. You see, you see people behind you. Heck, there's even people that are there that are cutting in line to you to go to that gate because it's got a, a nice shiny button they can push. Everybody's been going through that gate, so I'm going to go straight to that gate. They don't even think about it. But then you've also noticed a couple of people that have gone through that narrow gate, and they're like, and they, they seem to be happy once they enter it. You know, maybe there's a little reluctance there. But here you are, and you're at the front of the line. And you have to decide which one you're going to go through. You have to decide, am I going to go over there and push the button? And me and all my friends are going to go through that gate. Or am I going to go over to this gate here? And am I going to, am I going to choose the one that's a little harder to open? But maybe, just maybe, it might be more worth opening. And I think, you know, the, it's, it's a metaphor, but what we're talking about is our lives here, right? And, and the choice that you make between going through the narrow gate and the choice that you make between or going through the broad gate it matters for the rest of your life. It matters. You're at a crossroads and you have to decide. You know, Jesus is very clear here. Okay? He's, there's two paths. There's two gates. One leads to destruction or maybe to death. One leads to life. One gate, it seems like a lot of people are going through this gate. Many people go through that gate. The other gate, not so many people go through. But it leads to life. It leads to life. And what is... Jesus talking about what is the life that he's describing there is the abundant life, the abundant life that can only be found through Jesus. The only, the abundant life that comes from following and obeying him. And so right here, right here, and we're at a crossroads, and we're right back to where we started. Who do you love? Me? Or the thought of me? Me or the thought of me. Yeah, I've got to make sure I choose the right gate there. Who do you love? Me or the thought of me? Who, who do, you, do you, we, you know, we love the thought of abundant life with Jesus. We love the thought of abundant life. And, but 
we aren't really always willing to take the steps necessary to, to see that abundant life. You know, we, we don't spend enough intentional time with God. We don't, we won't adjust our schedules so that we can spend more time with Him. We won't, we won't read the Bible because we don't understand it. We'll only open the Bible when we, when we go to church or to our community group, not other, no other times. And I'm not talking about just reading the Bible for head knowledge. I'm talking about reading the Bible for heart knowledge too. All right, but let's look, let's dig a little bit deeper here. All right, let's, let's kind of look at the gates, okay? Why do so many people go through the broad gate? Why do so many people go through the broad gate and they don't choose the narrow gate? It's because it's hard. It's hard to go through the narrow gate. You have to be willing to sacrifice something to go through the narrow gate. You have to be willing to sacrifice something to follow Jesus, to enter into the way of the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus is saying here. And some of us, like when we started following Jesus, like we weren't told that. We were, we were to say, hey, if you just believe, you'll be saved. That's all you got to do. Just believe. I can, I can do that. I can believe. Wait. And, then, and then you're faced later with a trial or you're faced later with like a, hey, you have to make Jesus Lord over your life. And you're like, hold on a second. I didn't agree to that. Some of us are like that. Some of us were made aware of that sacrifice that you have to make to follow Jesus before we made that decision. But we haven't really done anything lately to, to test our faith. Some of us have kind of forgotten that fact. Some of us were sold the lie that because God wants what's best for you, that means that you're going to have financial prosperity, that you'll never face trials, that you have a nice, cushy, and comfortable life. As you follow Jesus, everything will fall into place, man. It will. But the fact of the matter is that that doesn't happen. Sometimes you will face trials when you follow Jesus. You, it, following Jesus could be the hardest thing you ever do. But it's always worth it. It's always worth it. So a simple test we can ask ourselves, maybe a simple question we can ask ourselves here is, has your faith ever cost you something? Has your faith ever cost you something? And if it has then you know what I'm talking about here. Has your faith ever cost you something? And if it hasn't, then maybe we need to look at which gate we went through. You know, and here's the thing that I want us to understand about God. God does want what's best for us. Okay? So even though we have a choice between which gate we go through, like God does want what's best for us. The thing about it, though, is that what God wants and what we want don't always align. That's why when people, you know, you look at studies, right? Look, I, uh, I looked at a study about Gen Z just recently, and it, it talked about how that generation, and mo- as most other generations, struggle with the fact that how could a good God allow such terrible things to happen in the world? They struggle with that, but it's, but it's because they were sold the lie that they will never face trials. Like, bad stuff happens in this world. We live in a fallen world. That is the nature of what we, where we are and what we do. That's where we're at. But we have Jesus to get us through all that. But life is hard. And God does want what's best for us. But the problem is when things go wrong, when our faith is really put to the test, where do we go? Where do we typically go to try to solve all of our problems? Some of us go to the ways of this world. Some of us go to addictions. There's a bunch of different places that we can go. And I think that's why Jesus gave us the next set of advice here or warning which is in verse 15 which says be on your guard against false prophets 
who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. Be on guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. It's another warning from Jesus. And it's another reality that we have to face is that this world is full of false prophets. This world is full of people who are trying to, to steer you a different direction. Maybe even a, most, most of it is a direction away from Jesus. There's, this world is full of people who will say, if you only do this, you'll be happy. If you only give up this, you'll be happy. If you only give me this much money, you'll be happy. There's people who will even quote scripture to you and lead you astray. So how do we determine this? How do we know how to recognize somebody who is a wolf that's wrapped in sheep's clothing? Well, we need to understand this one fact first and foremost. Is that there's only one prophet, there's only one teacher, there's only one person that should have ultimate authority over our lives and be able to govern us, and that is Jesus. That is the only person. That's the only thing. Scripture is the truth, and that is the foundation that that is the hill that we always die on. That is that's where we start. There is only one prophet, there's only one teacher who should have the ultimate authority over your life, and that is Jesus. And and Jesus, what did he do? Oh, he died for me. He died for you. And if somebody's willing to do that for me, I'm willing to follow that person. It's not always easy. I don't always choose the right answer. But I'm willing to listen. And he should have the ultimate authority over your life. But how do we know Jesus? How do we get to know him? How do we intimately know who he is? Friends, it's not hard. You open the Bible and you read it. You find somebody to read the Bible with and you talk about it. Like, I know it's, it seems like we, we've made this whole faith thing really super complicated sometimes, but it's really as simple as know Jesus. And how do you know Jesus? You open your Bible and you read it. Or you, or you open the Dwell app, which we have provided as a church for you guys, and you listen to it, which is how the first people who heard the Bible, they, they heard it. They didn't necessarily read it. We have more access to Scripture, but we have less people who are willing to turn to it. It's important that we stay grounded in Scripture so that we can recognize who a wolf is in sheep's clothing. Think about it like this. Okay. Um, do I have any Indiana Jones fans in the house? It is absolutely okay to raise your hand. If you don't raise your hand, I won't think less of you. But do we have, do we have any Indiana Jones in the house? Any Indiana Jones fans in the house? Okay. All right. So... I'm an Indiana Jones fan. I, I grew up on the movies. Um, but probably my favorite Indiana Jones movie is The Last Crusade. Now, this is the one with Sean Connery in it, where um, Indiana Jones and his father go on this, this adventure. But what starts the adventure is the guy who is actually winds up being the wolf in sheep's clothing uh, presents Indiana Jones with like, hey, I have this piece of evidence that could lead you to the Holy Grail. It's like, okay, that sounds good. And then he looks at the evidence, and then he gets really excited. And this guy goes, hey, I got an all-expenses-paid trip. All you have to do is go over and help me solve it. And then once we solve it, we'll find the Holy Grail together. And so they go on this journey. Somehow, somehow Indiana Jones' dad gets involved because he actually has been studying the Holy Grail for his entire life and the location of it. And so long story short, I don't want to give away too much of the movie, but through a bunch of twists and turns, backstabbing, Nazis, you name it, they arrive at the location of the Holy Grail. They, they were able to find it. And Indiana Jones is like, I'm not going to go in there. I don't want to go in that, that cave. I know it's booby-trapped. 
And they're like, well, okay, I'm going to shoot your dad. And then now you have to go in there because now you have to find the Holy Grail in order to save him. And so um, he's like, fine, I'll go, I guess, reluctantly. And he goes, and, of course, the cave is booby-trapped, as he thought. But they twist and turns. They get to the room that has where the Holy Grail is located. But the thing about it is it's not just one single cup that's lit up perfectly and all the angels are singing. No, there's a bunch of cups and a bunch of different kinds of cups. And there's a a knight that's hundreds of years old that's been waiting for people to to finally find this room. And he says, all right, pick a cup and dip it in this little basin over here of water, of life water, and you drink it. And if you choose the right cup, you'll have everlasting life. You'll be good. So the guy who's the, the wolf in sheep's clothing says, well, I've... This is all possible because of me. This is all my idea anyway. So I'm going to go first. And so what does this guy do? He, he looks around at all the cups. He's trying to find just the perfect cup. He's like, hmm, what cup is suitable for a king? Which one would fit a king? And, of course, he picks the one that's gold. has all these beautiful gems and diamonds and everything on it. He's like, oh, this is the one. This is definitely the one that Jesus drank out of. Then he dips it in there, takes a drink. And then through some terrible CGI, he turns into dust. So now it's Indiana Jones' turn. You know, imagine following that up. And so he is looking around at all these different cups that are there. He's trying to find the right one. But then he has this revelation. He says, wait a minute. Jesus was a carpenter. He lived a simple life. He wouldn't have a gold cup. So he looks around and he finds the simplest cup he can. Picks it up. Dips it in the basin. Takes a drink. And there's no terrible CGI afterwards because he actually lives. And so he goes out, he heals his dad, everything's fine. But here's the thing I want us to get about that, that whole story, okay? Is if Indiana Jones knew one thing about Jesus, or one piece of information about Jesus that led to the path of life. The other guy didn't know anything, and it led to the path of death, right? So if we look, I mean, it's a, it's a, an example of a movie, but it's a, it goes to show that knowing Jesus intimately, if we know him, not just head knowledge, but also heart knowledge, okay, if we let it sink into our hearts, if we know him, we will know his ways, and it will help us decide when we are faced with a situation and when there's a false prophet in front of us, we'll be able to identify that because we'll know who Jesus, who the real Jesus is and what he says. So how do we know what God says? How about how to pick out false prophets? Well, quite as simple as we get to know them. We read the Bible and we let it sink into our hearts. Let's read Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be in verse 16. We'll continue there. Uh, this says, it says this, You'll recognize them by their fruits. So he's talking about those ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. You'll recognize them by their fruit. So I don't know about you, but when somebody says something twice, my ears tend to perk up a little bit, tend to listen a little bit. And Jesus, as he's, as he's talking about these trees and these good, that produce good fruit and bad fruit, he sandwiches it with, 
you'll know you'll recognize them by their fruit. He says it twice. You'll recognize them by their fruit. And that's how it's important when we talk about this fruit. It's it's important to that to know that you will be recognized by your fruit. You'll be able to recognize these false prophets by your fruit. Think kind of think about it like this. Okay, you have two trees. You have two trees. You know, because Jesus is giving us he gave us two gates, now he's going to give us two trees. All right, and one one tree and these, we'll, we'll, we'll say they're apple trees. Uh, one tree, uh, your method of fertilizing it, of, of watering it, is it came in this box that's really easy, all in one thing, and you, all you had to do was just follow the instructions and do it. Really simple, really easy. So that's what you do with that tree. But the other tree, you looked at, you, you've looked up a bunch of YouTube videos, you know everything, you know you're going to have to work hard on this tree. You're, you're trying two different methods here. So this tree... It, has a, it takes a lot of work. It's hard. You have to water it like every day. It's tough. So harvest season comes around, you know, and you see these apples growing, and you're like, oh, these are really look pretty good. And you, so you go to this tree over here, and you look, and you pick an apple, and you take a bite. And it's, it's the, one of, probably the best apple you've ever tasted. It's crunchy. It's juicy. It's, it has just a little bit of tartness like a good apple should tastes really good. You're probably going to make a bunch of apple pies with it. It's that good. Then you go to this other tree where you got this all-in-one easy-to-do box and you pick an apple and as you pull it, you kind of realize like, this feels a little squishy. Okay, whatever. You take a bite out of it, realize that in fact it is mushy and squishy and not good. It's actually inedible. You spit it out and throw it on the ground. See, what Jesus says, what he's telling us is there are two trees, one that produces good fruit, one that produces bad fruit. And what happens to the one with the bad fruit? It gets chopped down and thrown into the fire. And Jesus isn't pulling any punches, so I won't either. When he's talking about chopped down, a tree that produces bad fruit, he's talking about, and goes into the fire, he's talking about hell. He's saying there's, there's, that's the path to destruction. That's where that one leads. But the path to life leads to the way of the kingdom of heaven, guys. And we are like a tree. Okay? We're like that tree. We're like the tree. And how we get our nutrients matters. How we're, who, are we, who are we connected to? How are we connected? Are we connected to the true vine? That matters. And if we choose poorly, we could wind up on the path that leads to destruction. We could, the path that leads to being chopped down and thrown into the fire. Okay? We're like a tree. And we have to remember, when I talk about fruit, okay? so when I'm speaking about fruit, I'm talking about not just simply like, obviously there's the fruit of the Spirit, right? But it's, I'm not talking about that. I'm, the fruit I'm talking about is the, the culmination of all of our, our words and all of our deeds. All of our words and all of our deeds. That's how we produce our fruit. So if we're producing fruit that's bad, our words and deeds are not ones that are Christ-centered. But if we are being grounded in Scripture, if we are following Jesus' ways, we will produce good fruit. You know, sometimes the thing about this is, uh, especially when it comes to fruit, because Jesus says grapes can't grow in thorns and uh, a fig can't grow in a thistle. Right? So he's basically saying, like, sometimes you're a product of your surroundings. So if you look at your surroundings and it's a bunch of thorns and thistles, you're going to be restricted of your growth. You can only grow so much before those start to choke you. So maybe sometimes you need a, a change of scenery. Maybe that's the answer. Maybe... Maybe the fruit you've been producing is mediocre fruit. It's not good. It's not bad. 
But you've been producing mediocre fruit for far too long because you've just been okay with the status quo. You've been okay with just riding the tide instead of taking action with your faith. You know, And that's the thing that we need to understand is actions, they have to happen. We, they must happen. We can't be passive. With the, Our faith is not a passive faith. You can't just come in here on Sunday morning and then... And not, and not participate. You can't just leave this place, go to your community group or go about your life and be unaffected by what happens here. Like, it, what we do here matters and our faith matters, but it takes action. We can't just sit back and hope that it, that all, everything will work out fine. Because if you do that, it won't. And Jesus is inviting us to take action. He's calling us to go through the narrow gate. He's calling us to go through the narrow gate and to choose him, not the thought of him. He's calling us to go through the narrow gate and choose him. Because, guys, we need to understand that the stakes are high. Every, good, every tree that produces bad fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So a simple question, a couple of questions we can ask. First off is, what, what kind of fruit am I producing? If you take an honest assessment of yourself, of your life, what kind of fruit are you producing? Have you, are you producing good fruit? Are you producing bad fruit? Have you been producing mediocre fruit for a long time? I know I've fallen into that trap, so I can, I can understand, I can sympathize with that. But what kind of fruit are you producing? But another way we can think about this is did my decision or did your decision to follow Jesus actually change anything about your life? Did your decision to follow Jesus actually change anything about your life? Or did you simply say, I'm going to follow Jesus, you got wet, and then you went home and continued with status quo? What did your faith, and when you said, I believe in Jesus, did that actually change your life? Did that actually shape your life? Does it still shape your life? It should. It should because, like I said, the stakes are high. A good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree that produces bad fruit gets chopped down and thrown into the fire. It's a harsh reality. But I want us to understand that it's absolutely following Jesus and going through the narrow gate, it's absolutely 100% worth all the trials, everything you have to go through. For the sake of Jesus, it's worth it over and over and over again. I've, I've found that in my life. I've think, I, I imagine that some of you have found that in your life when you have been faced with making your faith a reality, that you have found that. But let me encourage you with this. is to let your faith cost you something. Because it will make all the difference. Let your faith cost you something because it will make all the difference. There are far too many of us that go through the motions, that check the box, that say, all right, I went to church today. I, um, I read my Bible. I, I, I attended my community group. Hey, I even served in a ministry team. I did. I checked all the boxes. And then you go home and, and everybody looks at your fruit and they're like, I, I thought you went to church. There, there are far too many of us that, that leave this place unaffected by what happens here. By building up the body of Christ, by, by worshiping Jesus. We leave unaffected by it. We leave unaffected by the cross of Christ and the significance that what it means. That Jesus loves us so much that he was willing to let it cost him something. He's willing to let it cost him more than just death. See, Jesus came down to earth. He dwelled among us. He lived a life, a simple life. He sacrificed for us. 
He lived a simple life. He didn't even have a place to lay his head. Not a place, not one. He traveled around. He lived a simple life. And he did it all for us. He did it all for us. He humbled himself to fulfill every promise that God had made. See, Jesus is the loyal king that we don't deserve. But he loves us anyway and he chooses us anyway. Jesus is the loyal king that we don't deserve, but he loves us anyway. And he chooses us anyway if we choose him. But we have to, and we have to choose him. We have to be willing to sacrifice. We have to be willing. That means, that means at your job, at uh, your schedule, your, your time. You know, what, what, think about it this way. What is the one thing, all right, so if somebody were to, to say like, hey, I want that, you would say 100% no, that's not yours, that's mine. What is the one thing that you would not be willing to give up? That you, like, if somebody asked for it, you would white knuckle it until like, you wouldn't give it up. What is that one thing? It could be your, your time. It could be a prized possession. It could be something as simple as your alone time. It could be something as simple as sleeping in. What is that one thing you're not willing to give up? Are you willing to sacrifice that for Jesus? Are you willing to say, you know what? I'm going to lay that at your feet, and it's yours. What is the one thing that you aren't willing to give up? And if you struggle with that, I encourage you to give it to Jesus and watch what he does. Watch what he does. What are you willing to sacrifice? Guys, what Jesus is doing through this passage of Scripture and what he's doing through this as he wraps up the sermon, Jesus is reminding us that it's not easy to follow him. It will not always be easy to follow him. There will be many tests. There will be many failures. There will be many triumphs, many learning experiences. But there will also be abundant joy. You'll find joy in your life, which is so much better than happiness. Because happiness is temporary. It's fleeting. Same as this world. Never lose sight of the narrow gate. Because what Jesus is doing with this gate is he is inviting us into the way of the kingdom of heaven. He's not just inviting us into the kingdom of heaven. He's inviting us into the way of the kingdom of heaven. And the way of the kingdom of heaven can be costly. But Jesus also reminds us, he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. But what does he say before take heart? He says, in this world you will have what? Trouble. In this world you will have trouble. He doesn't say in this world you'll have rainbows and unicorns and the best lucky charms you can ever think of. He says, in this world you will have trouble. But he says, take heart or have courage because I have overcome the world. He's already won. That's the good news of the gospel. All the fighting, everything we have to do, all the trials of our faith, it's 100%, 1,000% worth it. When we can get to a place where nothing holds any power over us in this world, because we know, that Je- we know who Jesus is, and we know that the fact that he has overcome the world, when our hearts are able to worship him purely in spirit and in truth, that is when we can find that abundant life that Jesus is offering. That's when we can find the narrow gate. So maybe it starts with you regularly opening up your Bible and reading it. Maybe it starts with that. Maybe it's as simple as that. And guys, we have those foundations books out there in the Welcome Center. If you're looking for something, a Bible plan, that's a great one to start with. 
Get to know Jesus on an intimate level. Bring a friend along with you. And, and let the words that you read, the words that, that are you pour over, let them not just sink into your head. Let them not just sink into your heart. But let them sink into your actions. I'll say that again. Don't let, as you read the Bible, as you get to know Jesus more intimately, let the words that you read, the truth of the gospel, sink into your head, sink into your heart, and then sink into your actions. The path may not always be obvious. It may not always be obvious, but we, re, we must remain steadfast. And how do we do that? We stay grounded in the, the living word of God, which is sharper than any double-edged sword. Don't let this world weigh you down because it will. I wanted to, to close with this. This is a poem. Um, and if you guys have been in any English class above elementary level, you've probably, maybe even before that, you've probably have read this poem. But I think it beautifully summarizes what we've talked about today and how it, the cost is worth it. This is The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost says this two roads diverged in a yellow wood and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth then took the other as just as fair and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear though as for the passing there had warned them really about the same And both that morning equally lay, and leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Friends, let your faith cost you something. Let your faith cost you something. It will make all the difference. Let's let's stand. Let's pray. And then we're going to sing out. God, what an honor and a privilege it is that we get to come before you. We get to present our request before you and you hear us. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace, for your mercy. God, we thank you that that you love us despite all of our flaws. Jesus, we thank you that you are the loyal king that we don't deserve, but you love us anyway. That you were willing to let your love for us cost you something. God, I pray that you allow us to leave here affected by the cross of Christ, by the significance of what happened on Calvary, that that all of our sins were nailed to the cross. And when Jesus died and he gave up his his spirit, the sins stayed there on the cross. We thank you for the hope of the resurrection, resurrection morning, that while we can still have abundant life here, that there is a life beyond, a life that is spent fully in the presence of you. And I pray that you give us the courage this week and for the rest of our days to choose the narrow gate, to walk through it. Even when times are hard, even when our faith is put to the test, give us the strength, give us the endurance, 
Give us the knowledge and the wisdom and the discernment to walk through the gate again and again and again as we bear our cross daily. God, we love you. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for your sacrifice. You are worthy of all the honor, all the praise, all the glory. You are worthy of our life. We love you and we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.